Testing. Can I say what an outstanding job these guys do every single Sunday? And um, and I love I love to see them uh, just growing in their in their ability to to communicate and speak. I mean, um, it's exciting as they as they lead us in worship, not just with their with their musical abilities, their gifts, but their with their words of encouragement and their and their prayer too. It's just it's really great. Hey, real quick item here. Um, I just need to talk to you guys about for a second. Uh, the, the building, the Grace Impact Center, the offices, we have had some trouble in that building with leaks. And if you've been in there recently, it's, it's kind of ridiculous. It all happened at once. We didn't expect it. We didn't really budget for it. We got two bids, and that's to fix the roof in the, uh, the offices and one, another, another to fix the uh, area where the kids, uh, our students play basketball and baseball and have their, their time, the youth ministry time. Uh, we got two bids, one for 25000 and one for 7000 from two reputable people. So we picked the 25000 No, we didn't really. No, we didn't. No, we went with the 7000 He said he'd fix all, all the leaks and everything. We can't move forward with finishing off the front of the Grace Impact Center uh, without fixing that roof because we'll ruin the new floor that we put down. That new floor is going to be amazing for whether it's soccer or basketball or baseball or street hockey or skateboarding, whatever. It's a great floor to be used. It's going to be our it's really going to be our greatest outreach tool. when We finish the front and the back. Um, we've got a lot of people interested in using that facility from the outside and we can just minister to as well. But we need to make sure that we uh, we get the seven thousand dollars. We can put it off three three month payments. I'm just bringing it up because um, it comes it gets kind of stressful uh, as a pastor when these things come up and you don't have the resources to kind of cover them. So if you would please remember your tithe, maybe throw a little bit extra in there for that roof just to kind of put that to bed so we can move forward on the rest of the building. We really appreciate it. Um, I don't usually get up and, and talk this way about, like, you know, ask for different things. But when we need it, I'm, you know, people say to me all the time, hey, when you need something, you have to ask. You need to say something. So I'm saying something. Put a little extra so we can put this one to bed and we can move on. Because, again, that's going to be our greatest outreach tool when that building is finished. And if I get a chance, um, if you maybe connect with me sometime, this past week has been one of the most difficult weeks I've had in I can't even remember but there's been so many there's so many good things that came out of it as well. And uh, and I, I can't take the time to go over it right now. But God did an absolute miracle when it comes to the taxes on this building, an absolute positive miracle. Um, I, I had a chance to talk to a lawyer, a tax collector and and uh, and um, uh, an auditor this week. It was fun. It was a blast. It really was. <laughs> um, but you know what? It was it really was seriously it was an, it, all of them were an act of God and surpassed all that I could ever ask or imagine when it comes to all those issues. So, you know, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I can't wait to maybe put it in a sermon sometime and tell you exactly what happened because it just boggles the mind and my, makes my mind rest a lot easier. All right. So last week we had a good time last week. A lot of like I was yelling a lot and getting all excited so one of the one of the one of the students, uh, he's probably in sixth sixth grade or so. He said, "Did you ever hear of decaffeinated coffee?" I mean, I was like, "Hey, man, you're busting on me in like fifth or sixth grade, holy mackerel!" Um, no, I haven't, and so I'm going to continue to get excited, especially about this topic. I'm I'm telling you. And what I want to do is, I, I don't want to. I just want to take off from where we left off last week. Okay, so let's just keep moving along here because all these sermons fit together. 
Okay, they're, they're, they just tie right into each other. And please, please, when you when you leave here today, take this sermon, uh, you know, think about it tomorrow, the next week, you know, next week. Keep thinking about it. So it becomes a part of who you are. It becomes a part of your kind. It's going to be a part of our it's a part of our DNA as a church. And it needs to be a part of our individual DNA as well, who we are. And so we learned last week, we learned last week who we are. You know, we said, who are we? You know, who are we? And we said we are a chosen people, right? Right. We're a holy nation. We're a royal priesthood, right? We're a people belonging to God. We have received mercy. And so we know that we know that already. And that's leading up to what we're going to talk about today. And we also know why we're here to declare the praises of him who brought us out of darkness into his wonderful light. So we know who we are and we know why we're here, but there's a problem. Okay, we got excited last week about this. And I I am. I was so encouraged that uh, from the response I got from you guys this week, really encouraged. But there is a problem. Okay, in the in, in moving this along in our Christian walk, because each of us would say amen to what I just said. Each of us would be excited about what I just said. Each of us owns this and says, yes. Yes, I am chosen. I am a holy nation. I am a royal priesthood. I am a people belonging to God. Yes, I, I, have, I have been shown mercy. And I'm going to proclaim him who brought us out of darkness into his wonderful light. I know that's why I exist. And then all of a sudden we leave this room and go out into the world. And something happens. We would all agree that's the right thing. But, there, but there's a problem with us when we try to live it out. When we leave this place and we try to live that out. And Paul has an answer to our problem. He has a real answer to the problem. And, it, and it's, I mean, this is coming right into the 21st century. He's addressing it. Okay, he was addressing it at his time. But it applies directly to what we're dealing with in the 21st century. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, he says this. See to it. Okay, now he's talking to us. Let's just, let's just hear it as he's speaking to us. See to it that no one takes you captive to hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. He's saying, make sure that you have your worldview down. Don't be swallowed up with culture and cultural philosophies and all these things, because they're not the same as the, the word of God. And we need to focus on the word of God. This morning, we're going to be addressing a subject that will change the way that you live your Christian life, the way you walk in your in your Christian life and help you break free from the feelings of guilt, from the feelings of condemnation that try to undermine your spiritual growth and freedom. You are free in Jesus Christ. You have freedom in Christ. You want to grow. I know you want to grow spiritually. You wouldn't be here if you didn't want to grow spiritually. But the problem is for us as the body of Christ that we only seem to get time to grow in this hour, hour and a half. And then we leave here and something happens. Something happens. We go back into the world and we don't want it to be this way, but something literally permeates us and changes us. And we leave here. And I believe it's the concept of secular and sacred. It's this it's this concept of secular and sacred. Let me give you a little background as to how this dual this dual uh, concept came to permeate our lives, because that's what it does. Whether we like it or not, whether we realize it or not, it permeates our lives. And I I never lived this concept of secular and sacred, 
But I never could put my finger on why it's so hard as a pastor when we get up here and preach and, and we'll, I'll give it all I have and, and you'll receive it and you'll totally agree. But then all of a sudden you get you get hammered. And what is going on? What's this roadblock that we're facing? And the roadblock is this idea of secular and sacred. And it all starts with Plato. Now, I'm not saying Plato's evil. Don't get me wrong. But he has a Plato's philosophy is where it all started. Plato obviously was a Greek philosopher who lived in the fourth century B.C., And his philosophy on the world created a distorted picture of reality for the Christian and how we look at look at spirituality. His philosophy has so permeated the church, not just now, first century, all the way to now. It's permeated the church and it affects the way we think about our own spirituality. Plato's influence basically helped create heresies in the early first century church. And one of the one of the examples would be uh, Gnosticism. And we get the, uh, the Gnostics from this is where it's coming from. And, you know, you think, well, Gnosticism, ah, it's not really big anymore. Yeah, oh, what, when you when you when you ever play that whack-a-mole kind of game, you whack the mole and it pops up over you, you whack that mole. That's what's happening. OK, this philosophy is permeating the church throughout the, 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 the centuries. And basically you whack the mole down one heresy and it pops up just in another heresy. And the church just keeps on embracing and embracing and embracing these heresies without even really knowing it. Well, let me give you an overview of this philosophy. Okay, just this is just an overview. It'd be great to go back if you want to tonight or whatever, get some books or, or go online and kind of read up on Plato's philosophy when it comes to when it comes to this concept of secular and sacred. Plato thought that reality is made up of two parts. Okay, his thoughts were that reality is made up of two parts: the material and the spiritual. Okay, so you have the material which is secular and the spiritual world, you have the material world secular and you have the spiritual world, which is sacred. So he breaks it down into two things, secular and sacred. The material world is basically the realm of the the tangible, the now, the physical, the imperfect, the temporary. All the things in the material world are temporary. The spiritual world is made up of the realm of the sacred. These are this is eternity, uh, perfection, uh, you know, the divine, like I say, the permanent. These are these are the themes that would enter into the spiritual side, the that which is sacred. See, in Platonic thought, the spiritual world is considered superior to the material world. So Plato would say, you know, you got the you got the material, you got the spiritual and the spiritual is is definitely superior to the material in in, in life's goal. Our goal in life, according to this, is to dwell in the spiritual realm and de-emphasize, okay, de-emphasize and devalue the material realm. And some honestly, don't raise your hand, but some of you are thinking, yeah, that's that's about right. Mm -hmm. He's got it. He's got it down. So so then as the pastor, I would be closer. I would be spiritually kind of superior uh, because I spend my time dwelling on the eternal. I spend all of my my time dwelling on, you know, on on the the the, uh, the deity and, and just the spiritual realm of all things. And I don't waste a lot of my time on the material things. So therefore, I would be closest in contact with the spiritual realm. You know, all the spiritual things that I think about all the time. You, on the other hand, uh, how do I say this? You're a part of the material world. The rest of you, the rest of you, you know, whatever. I don't know what to call you, but you're you're part of the material world. The material world is important only in as it sparks thoughts of the spiritual. 
That's the only that's the only value it has that it sparks thoughts about the spiritual realm. But there's no inherent value to the things that are made up in the material world. There's no real value there in and, in and of themselves. There's no real value in, in, to belonging to material world. Uh, I don't know. How, how do I I'm just going to spell it out for you. You know, almost all of you who are working in a job out there in the secular world. OK. Or you're in your home, whatever, you're working from home, you're taking care of your home and all that kind of thing. How can I say this? You're, you're basically second-class citizens. I don't know what to say. I'm just speaking the truth in love. You know what I'm saying? You know, I'm here, you guys, the rest of you guys, unless you're in, of course, full-time Christian service and you're out there. Anybody in full-time Christian service, raise your hand. Raise your hand. Yeah, let's give a big hand because they're much more spiritual than you are. Yeah. Okay. That's really what it boils down to. You're kind of second class citizens. Now, now, as you second class citizens, you can redeem yourself part time. OK, for a few hours a week, if you teach a Sunday school class or you come in and be your, your greeter or you work in the, in the sound booth over here, you know, doing sound, but only part time. And if you ever think you're going to do that outside of the church and it's going to count, <laughs> let me tell you something different. You do the same exact thing outside of the church and it's not spiritual anymore. It's not in the spiritual realm. It's in the secular realm because you're out there in the worldly kind of stuff. You're in the material world. And so there, it doesn't count anymore. And that's the attitude and the philosophy that has, that has permeated the church. And it, it's that philosophy that has been created in the church that has had such an effect on us. This, this heresy, this false understanding of what the word of God says. For years, we have actually read the Bible. OK, we've read the Bible when it comes to statements about worldliness or earthly passions or desires of the flesh from a plate from from Plato's perspective. We're not reading it from a biblical perspective. Many times we're reading it from Plato's perspective and it warps the way we think. That's a mistake in order to read that, to read worldly desires, the earthly passions, all those things from a plate from Plato's standpoint is a mistake. It's a biblical mistake. Plato taught basically that as we become absorbed in the spiritual realm, we begin to just, you know, we don't really want anything to do with the material realm that we in our everyday lives. The more we get into the spiritual realm, the more the material realm is just put aside because, again, it has no value. What you do six other six days a week and even leaving here today, even Sunday, most of the things you do on Sunday, they really have no value, no lasting eternal value. So as we get caught up in the spiritual realm, we begin to put aside and, and our lives. And we don't really have that much to do uh, with the with the with the world in, in, in which we live. That is not what the Bible teaches that is not when I talk about having a spiritual perspective, an eternal perspective or a temporal perspective. We talk about that. We need to have an eternal perspective. That's not the same thing as we're talking about here. It's not the same thing. The Bible does not teach what I just described to you. As a matter of fact, Paul has extremely strong words for this thought process in First Timothy, chapter five, uh, chapter four, verses one through five. He's got very strong words. Here's what he says. He says the spirit clearly says that in the latter times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teaching come from uh, through uh, hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods, which now again, I want you to hear the language. I'm going to keep saying this. I want you to hear the language of what this is saying in the Bible. 
which God created to be received with thankfulness by those who believe and who know the truth, which God created. Paul is saying, no, God created the material things. Okay, so he says, which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. For everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving because it is consecrated by the word of God and prayer. The Bible says that everything that God created in the world should be enjoyed. I mean, should be should be embraced, that what God has created should be embraced. And we should we should take it to its fullness and its richness. We should we should enjoy it. You know, it's so funny. You think of the word pleasure. OK, and people Ooh, pleasure. Guess who invented pleasure? God did. God did. And God says, it says that God wants us to, to, to enjoy. God wants us to take this world that he has created and enjoy in, in, in its, all of its richness. Now, I think we would all agree. So then why do Christians, why is it, you have to ask yourself, if we'd all agree that we have, you know, we, we, we have, a, we have a, a spiritual world that we live in. Yes, okay, a sacred world. And from the biblical, a biblical worldview, there are two, two realms that we live in that are real in the biblical world. Number one, the, the sacred, and number two, the sinful. Those are the two areas in a biblical worldview that you have. Those are what you get to choose from. The sacred, God created everything. All things that he created are good, okay? So you have the sacred, and then you have the sinful. So why is it, if that's what the Bible teaches us, why is it that most Christians, almost all Christians, okay, all around this country, have three categories? They have the sacred, they have the sinful, and then they have the secular. Sacred, mm-hmm, sinful, and the secular. They kind of, that other one kind of creeps in. Now, I've already talked to you about the sacred, what that is, and we, most of us know what the, what the sinful, what, what, what's sinful. It's those things that are uh, unholy, those things that, that would uh, keep us from getting closer to God, those things that, that basically um, corrupt a person spiritually. And, and the sinful things are also called worldly. But unlike, listen, unlike Plato's philosophy, world in the New Testament is two different words here, okay? Unlike Plato's philosophy, world in the New Testament is a sphere of life in which God's lordship is rejected, okay? When the Bible talks about world, he's not talking about like Plato talks about it. When the Bible talks about world, it's saying, hey, this is, don't, don't, don't go be like the world because the world rejects God's lordship, Okay? It's the Lord. It's the world rejecting the lordship of Jesus Christ. The material when the Bible talks about the world, it's basically talking about those things, the things in the world, the material world that become an end in themselves for in in our lives. The thing itself becomes the the thing becomes an end in itself. And we begin to worship that thing. That's what the Bible says. Wait, wait, wait. Time out. Time out. So you're corrupting it. You're corrupting that which God made and is good. You're taking something and it becomes an end in itself or you're worshiping that thing. That's what the Bible says is wrong. It's, it makes no sense for us to then turn around and say, well, you know what? Um, I'm, gonna, I'm, not, I'm just going to hate life and culture and, and nature and sex and dancing and working and other material things. Nothing, nothing wrong with those things. See, according to Plato, secular things are also called worldly, but not in an inherently evil sense. They are basically, they are merely material and temporal in nature 
They have no they have no value. They're valueless. They're neutral. They they have no spiritual value whatsoever. They're just neutral. And see, we see you start getting you see where we get in the idea of this idea of secular because they have no eternal significance. So, you know, you're thinking, OK, I'm kind of getting this, but let me break it down for you in a day to day kind of lifestyle here. When it comes to your profession, when it comes to your different professions, OK, being a pastor, right, is sacred. Being a prostitute is sinful and working at Procter and Gamble. That's merely secular. Right. Now, I mean, you're you're a lot of you don't raise your hand again, but a lot of you are thinking, yeah, that's basically what I what, what I thought in money matters. Giving the offering on Sunday morning is sacred. It's very sacred. I mean, it's like sacred. Okay, about seven thousand dollars over a budget right now. Be really sacred. All right, it's sacred. Now, the money that you won at Belterra or in the jackpot at you know at Las Vegas—that's sinful. And the money that's in your pocket—that's merely secular. You can turn your secular money, that dirty money in your pocket, to sacred money by putting it in this box or that box. And if you really start paying attention when you, you know, some people, they put the check and they start walking away. But if you just paid attention a little longer, you would see light coming out of the box as your check goes in. OK, and if you listen, if you put your ear to the little slit in the box, it's like holding your ear to a, a, a shell. You hear the ocean. You hear the angels sing. Hallelujah. Ha. I'm telling you, it's happening. Some of you have never given before. That's your problem. You don't understand how excited it is. You got to put your ear right up there. You hear it. I. Maybe maybe I see you. It's me singing. Hallelujah. You think it's the angels, but it's just me. All right. Let's talk about eating. I mean, what you eat. OK. Unleavened bread. Sacred. Right. Spiked rum cake. Sinful. I, I got some of your numbers. OK. Got that spiked rum cake. Someone offered me some spiked rum cake you know, like about two months ago. I was like, no, no, I'm not getting that spiked rum cake. And spam is basically secular. Right. Now, unless I make a spam sandwich, a little bit of mayo and a little bit of you know, tomatoes, then it becomes sacred because the pastor is eating the spam. So therefore, spam becomes sacred. But that rum cake, people, come on now. Michael W. Smith, music, okay? Music. Michael W. Smith would be what? Sacred. Right? Lady Gaga. Now I see that right away. Sinful. And the Beach Boys are? Secular. Exactly. Right. The beach. And that's what you think. If I said, let's if I did this game before we talked about this sermon, and I said, OK, you know, Michael W. Smith, you'd say sacred. And I'd say Lady Gaga. And you'd say secular. I mean, uh, sinful. And I said, Beach Boy. And you say, no, nah, it's just secular. How are they secular? I mean, how is that? How is what the Beach Boys they're singing about? How is that wrong? How is it sinful? If it's not sinful, then it's it's OK. It's sacred. It's okay. It's okay to sing songs that don't have Jesus in every other line. It's okay to write love songs. It's okay to write songs that just talk about the depths. We know that song that we that we wrote. The um, um, I want to be where the rain ends. Not then. God isn't mentioned. We obviously know what we're talking about in that song, but God's not mentioned. Neither is Jesus. But you bring that into the church. You write that song from your heart, from a place in your heart. And, you know, and, and you guys embrace that. And you would never call that secular. But if it came on the radio first and you heard it, you'd say, well, that's not a that's not a Christian song. That's a secular song. It's not sinful. It's just secular. How is that secular? Show me in the Bible where it, ta- where it says things are, are secular. See, we need to be. And here's something else. 
What this philosophy does is guarantee the majority of our time and energy is spent in secular activities. It guarantees it pretty much. Let me give you an example. If we go on this philosophy, how many secular days are there in the week? Six, right, exactly. You got six secular days. How many days do we get? One. And not even a whole day either. You know what I'm saying? Because I go home and watch football, and that's secular, right? I'm going to tell you something. People laughed at me for years. I watch a great player in football or baseball. I watch a great player or a great artist or a great uh, a singer. Or I don't care if they, I don't care what I'm where I'm, I'm not watching the, the Christian channel. I watch something. And I see someone do something amazing. I worship God. I worship God. They're not doing anything sinful. Therefore, it's sacred. God gave them the ability. Therefore, I can worship God while watching someone do ballet. I literally can worship God watching beautiful people do ballet. And the things that they do is it's it's extraordinary. I love it. I absolutely love it. It is it is it is sacred. See, what this philosophy leads to in the Christian world is the feelings of guilt we get these feelings of guilt, and it really bugs me. And this is one of the reasons I, I, I really had to bring this forward, because we need to get rid of this. Because women, for example, I talk to a lot of women who stay at home, and they're staying at home, and they're, they may be taking care of their children, or there will be people who are taking care of their elderly uh, parents, or they're, they're staying at home, and they're working with a, a child who's struggling right now, and, they're, and they, they're basically they're feeling guilty. They're, they're feeling guilty about this. And honestly, according to this philosophy, why shouldn't they? Because they're not they're certainly not serving God because it's not programmed within the church's boundaries. And so if you're not doing something programmed within the spiritual realm here, then therefore you're not doing it for God. You're not serving God. And therefore it doesn't count. It doesn't count in the spiritual realm. And so people walk around feeling terribly guilty because they're not, they, they used to be able to serve more, but the Lord more, but now they, they can't because they've, they've got children and they, their parents, they've got parents living with them and, and they're, one of their kids is struggling and everything. And so, you know, and you know what, seriously, that's just their tough luck, I guess. They've got to just buck up and come to church and figure out how they can serve for real. Now, if, if you had a family ministry degree from a place, say, like Nyack, where I went to school, okay? Where I got, and of course, Nyack is sacred, as opposed to the school, the secular degree that you got from sinful you. I don't know where you went, but I'm sure it was sinful. If you got that degree, though, from Nyack, and you did the exact same thing within the church that I just described with you being at home with your kids and everything and taking care of your elderly parents or whatever else, then it would count. If I called you on the phone and said, I have a family that really needs some help. Their daughter's really struggling. Their son's really struggling. You know, you've been through the same thing. I remember you giving your testimony. Can you spend some time with this family and just invest in them? You know what? Oh, crown in heaven for you. Because it's programmed within the church. Now, don't get me wrong. I, we need people to serve within the body or the church doesn't function. So don't, don't even go that direction. We do need people functioning within the body. But there are seasons of life where people are going through things in their lives where they're investing in their own family in that season of life. And to say that is, that is not serving God is, a, is a, it's just ridiculous. To, to, to have someone take care of their ailing parent and invest in their lives in their house. You know how difficult that is sometimes? You know how hard it is to, to, to take care of a, a little infant or a child and they're going through a difficult time. They're not in and out of the hospital or the parents in the hospital and they're living with you. You're sacrificing of yourself. You're giving of yourself. You're doing that is that is following Jesus Christ's example. 
That is that is not secular. That is sacred. And the greatest crown you will receive in your in your crown in heaven will probably come from this experience in your life. Don't let anybody tell you it. That's, it's not doesn't count or somehow it does. It's not worthy. Women are serving their families. They're working as well sometimes. And they're feeling guilty and worthless because they're not doing anything for God. It just it's, it's it just boggles the mind. They're being told that what they do has no spiritual value. Men in the church are saying, I can't wait to retire so I can begin to serve God because they're being told when they go to a secular job, it's a secular job. It has no spiritual value. It's void of spiritual value. Chapter and verse, someone, someone show me where this comes. I know where it comes from. I just told you where it comes from. It certainly doesn't come from the Bible. Here's what the Bible says. Colossians chapter three, verse 23. Listen to the words. Whatever you do, did it say some of the things you do? Some of the things you do when you're doing it in church, it says whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord and not for when I was in college, I started ministry when I was in college. I served as a junior high leader in our church and I worked at Exxon and both of them were equally ministry. Because I didn't even I did not know the president of Exxon's name, but I knew Jesus name. And I knew Jesus said, you're not working for him. You first work for me. Pick up the cigarette butts, clean up the oil, clean the toilet, say thank you, ask them if they need any oil, whatever you're told to do, because you work for me. You represent me. You're my ambassador. I don't again. I didn't care who who was the president or whatever supervisor. I served my supervisor. I served the, the whoever was there. I was doing ministry. No one's ever going to tell me that I was doing a secular job. I was working for Jesus Christ. That's what it says. It's not, there's no misunderstanding here. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not working unto men. Students struggle. They struggle with what vocation they're going to go into. They struggle. Should I go into full-time Christian service or should I go into uh, follow my father into the secular world? Like I was, you know, I, I watch Star Wars, you know what I mean? It's kind of like, you know, son, come into the secular world. You don't know the power of the dark side. GE is now your master. <laughs> what the heck? Where, where does that come from? If you're working at GE and you're bringing Christ into your sphere of influence and you're and you're 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 loving people around you, you're serving your, those around you. You love Jesus Christ. You let that be known. You are serving Jesus Christ at GE or P&G or in your job, whatever it is. Amen. There's no there's no secular here. And the thing is, you, you get all and then you get all frightened because they tell you, oh, separation of church and state, which is a total crock. They don't even study history in the first place. OK, they don't even know what that means. But they throw it down our throats like somehow we're supposed to cower back and keep what they're going to do. What they want to do is make sure you keep it right here. You keep it nice and personal in this building. Baloney. I don't keep it in this building wherever I go. Where, think about Paul. When Paul was in prison, what was he doing? 
proclaiming him who called him out of darkness into his wonderful life. Absolutely. When Paul was when Paul was in Greece, when Paul was when Paul was in the church, when Paul went in the synagogue, when Paul was it says the marketplace, Paul was in the marketplace. He spent so much of his ministry time in the marketplace talking to anyone who happened to be there, the Bible says. Was Paul in the sacred world when he was in the synagogue and the secular world when he was in the marketplace proclaiming him who brought us out of darkness into his wonderful light? Absolutely not. No one's ever going to prove that from a biblical perspective as long as you live because it doesn't exist. See, this way of thinking creates feelings of condemnation and guilt for Christians because somehow you're not measuring up. You leave this place and somehow you just don't measure up. And so therefore, the only way to really measure up is to get some, do something in this realm or whatever else. See, the real problem is the system was broken in the first place. And we can fix it by remembering three simple facts. The sacred exists. The sinful exists. The secular does not exist. The secular does not exist. It doesn't exist. It exists in Plato's mind and those throughout the generations, those who receive it and, and, and own that. It doesn't exist from a biblical worldview. It does not exist. Look at all the, look at all the great men and women of the Bible. Did they, do, did they do all their great things when they were at the synagogue? Where did they do all their great things for the most part? When they were engaged in the things they did for, their, for a living. I mean, it makes absolutely no sense. We embrace it. We take it. The Christian life should be, oh, there should be two categories of the Christian life, okay? There should be the sacred and the sinful. As far as I know, God said something like, you're either for me or against me. Jesus mentioned something about being lukewarm, I think it was. You know, here, here's part of the problem, my friends. The reason that you're so confused about all the new issues coming up, all the moral issues, and you're not really sure about this. You're not really sh- There's a lot of gray. Oh, there's a lot of gray. There's a lot of gray with Christians. There's not much gray at all, if none, with God. God's not confused. He's, oh, my goodness. Yeah, I'm, I'm boy, this, really, this is puzzling me. Is this, is this sacred? Is it sinful? It's secular. Oh, that gets me off the hook. It's either sinful or it's sacred. There's no confusion here. There's no gray areas in morality. As the culture changes, you just go along because you're going to feel someone's going to call you out and say that you're being not tolerant and all this kind of stuff. So we just go along. There's sacred and there's sinful and there's no such thing as secular. And that's the end of that story. Originally, of course, in the universe, there was only one category and that was sacred. Right. The Bible says when God created the world, he said he saw and it was Good. Okay. So he saw it and it was good. When he created the world, it was good. So there's no one, there's nothing inherently, there's no inherently sinful objects. Did you know that? There's nothing inherently sinful in an object. All objects of the universe are still sacred because they have, they they have their sacred origin in God. All things that were created have their sacred origin in God. However, they are corruptible because of sin entering the world. Sin entered the world and things that were created can be corrupted. But sin has only God's created things to work with. Okay, God created them and they were good. Sin, when he, when he comes in, when sin enters the world, it takes something that was good and corrupts it and makes it not good. All sin does is turn something that belongs to God into something evil, whether it's dancing or music or sex or computers or whatever else. My goodness, there's nothing wrong with dancing. Dancing's good. 
Dancing is real good. Okay, read the Bible. Where does it say, you know, people years ago, man, drums, they almost they almost hung people from sticks and beat them with rods when people would come in and start playing drums and things like that. Have they not read the Old Testament? Have you not read that, that you know, praise the Lord, what, symbols and drums? And it goes through a whole gamut of things, but not, 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 not now, because what the church did was they said, no, this is sacred music. And this is, you know, they, they basically have the categories and they throw things out that are not should not be thrown out. There's nothing wrong with dancing. There's certainly nothing wrong with sex. There's nothing wrong with computers. There's nothing wrong with any of these things. Music. What I say to people is critically evaluate everything you listen to and what you see. Critically evaluate. Put it in two categories. It is either sinful or it's sacred. If it's sacred, watch it. If it's sinful, don't. Listen to your favorite music. If the words are hard and disgusting and go against the word of God, then it is what? Then, then there's no, there's not, it's not secular. It's not in some category area. It's not gray. Listen to the words. It's not gray. It's not gray. Psalm 24, 1 says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, everything. Here's another problem. If we call most of our activities and life experiences secular, listen to this, then religion becomes irrelevant. It becomes completely irrelevant and insignificant to the rest of life in the eyes of those outside of the church. Basically, the church activities, by definition, have no relevance in our culture whatsoever. Therein lies the problem. If we break it down the way we're breaking it down, the world looks in here and says, what if nothing you do is relevant? It has no significance to my life whatsoever because it's all in this realm here and I'm out in that realm over here. So what, how can you speak to me? What do you have to say to me? How, I don't know how many times I've talked to people who said to me, why is it that Christians embrace the, the afterlife so much and wait for that so much, but don't enjoy this life? Now, I disagree with that. I really do. But the, the, the point is, they're looking at us and saying, you guys aren't really enjoying life. You're just waiting for the afterlife. And part of the reason that people do that is this philosophy right here. Jesus said, I come that they may have life and have it to the full, right? Both in this world, right, and in the next. He said, I come they might have life and have it abundantly, John chapter 1 and verse 3, speaking of Jesus, says this. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that had been made. What this means is that for the believer, there is no area of life that is not sacred. For the believer in Jesus Christ, everything we do, everything we engage in is sacred. Every aspect of life is set apart for God, set apart for the Lord, because life itself is set apart for the Lord. Life itself is set apart for God. Sin is to be avoided. Life is to be embraced, right? Sin is to be avoided. We have no problem with that. Life, though, outside anything that's not sin should be embraced and enjoyed, the richness of life should be totally and utterly enjoyed. All the pleasures of life should be totally and utterly enjoyed. Why? Because God created them. And if they're not sin, then they're sacred. And we should enjoy those things. Colossians 3.17 says this, And whatever you do, whatever you do, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, it says, Command those who are rich, listen to the words again, Command those who are rich in this present world, in this present world, not the afterlife, this present world, not to be arrogant and not to put their hope in wealth. Is there anything wrong with being a millionaire? Anything wrong with being a billionaire? Only thing wrong is if you put your hope in your wealth, which is so uncertain. 
but to put their hope in God. So the only thing wrong here, the only thing that becomes sinful is when we take an object, a material object, and we put our hope in it, we begin to worship that thing. That becomes an end in itself. Other than that, there's nothing wrong with making a billion dollars. I pray to God someday that through self-sustaining energy, we make a billion dollars and give all the money away. There's absolutely nothing wrong with the money. And it says this, who richly provides, uh, he richly provides us with everything for our what? Enjoyment. In the what? Present world. See, we're, we're being sold down the river here, guys. We're being robbed of our freedom. We're being robbed of our joy. We're being robbed of all those things because we're falling into this and people are telling us how, what is sacred and what is secular and what, where we belong, where we don't belong. When a Christian, when, when Christ opens our eyes, we see created things for what they are. We see them for what they are, the work of the creator. And it's only when we see them as the work of the creator that we can really appreciate them. And when we receive them, when we, when, we, when we take them and use them with thanksgiving from God, the physical things of this world have an eternal spiritual significance. When we do it that way, and they outlast, that this eternal significance outlasts the objects themselves, because God created them. And when believers in Jesus Christ embrace them, they are sacred. A sacred perspective helps us keep God. It helps us understand who God truly is, too. You know, we we somehow forget that our God is the God of the universe. He's the king of the universe. He's the king of all things. He's not some small little God. He's not the Lord of this, this narrow range of doctrinal subjects that have no application to real life. That's not the God that we worship. He's the ruler of all. He's the king of all. He's the king of the universe. He created everything and everything belongs to him. He's immense. He's absolutely powerful. And he encompasses every single area of my life. When I get up in the morning, when I brush my teeth, when I go outside and I drive my car and I go here, I go there, whatever I do, whenever I do it, God is a part of that. He's a part of every area of my life. He's immense. There's nothing in my life that he is not in control of, that he is not, that I should not give to him. In Psalm 57, 11, it says, Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Our God does not just reside in a church, okay? He doesn't, he doesn't reside in a church and he's not stuck in some little box in our minds. We put him up on the shelf and pull him down when we want him. Our God tells us to enjoy sports and art and evangelism, and camping, and prayer, and skateboarding. He tells us to enjoy all of those things. There's nothing wrong with those things. These things are, 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 and many more of them are already sacred because they're being done by believers. The Bible says that the believer in Jesus Christ is the salt of the earth. That means we are preservatives in the world, in the world in which we live, in this material world. We are preservatives, and we are to protect the world from, from sinful corruption. That's our job. We preserve things that that God has created and we protect those things from sinful corruption. When Jesus Christ came, he gave us that power and he said, that's who we are. That's who we are. When we hold a sacred view of the world, when we hold a sacred view, we no longer concern ourselves with the secular. When we understand a biblical worldview, we never long, we don't think about secular anymore. There's no such thing. It gets out of our vocabulary. The manager who serves 
his supervisor, who serves his vendors, who serves the people under him, who serves the customers, is serving Jesus Christ. It's as simple as that. The accountant who doesn't cheat is a light unto the world. The artwork that you see out here, all the artwork you see out there, it's as sacred in downtown Cincinnati in an art gallery as it is in the church on Sunday morning. It's sacred. Because those who made that art, those who created that art, recognize it came from the creator. And they're thankful. They're thankful for that. They're thankful that the creator gave them the ability to do those things. And those things are sacred no matter where you put them. Do you remember the two most famous tax collectors in the Bible? Remember them? Matthew and Zacchaeus, right? Matthew is told to leave his position and to, and, to, and to declare the praise of him who brought us out of darkness into his wonderful light. That's what Matthew's job was, pretty much, correct? Zacchaeus was told to stay in his job, to do it honestly, and to declare the praises of him who brought him out of darkness into his wonderful light. Show me in the Bible where it says Jesus came to Matthew and said, you're in a sacred job. And he said to Zacchaeus, you're in a secular job. Show me where it says that. He says to Zacchaeus, he says, today you and your household have become saved. You are saved. Zacchaeus, not only did he do it in his job, he took it home with him. Zacchaeus understood this. He wasn't, he wasn't brainwashed by a philosophy that has permeated everything. Zacchaeus understood, when I go to work, I have to be honest. When I go home, I'm going to proclaim him who brought me out of darkness into his wonderful light. Wherever I go, whatever I do, that's what I'm going to do. And Jesus never calls one secular and one sacred. Never. They both serve God and Jesus accepts them both. He accepts them both. If preaching and singing can be done to the glory of God, then so can accounting and farming and truck driving and carpentry and governing and fishing and fishing and fishing and skateboarding and marketing and auto repair and writing and sports and aquaponics. Right. We're setting up aquaponics in the children's area. What does that have to do with church? It has every... What do you mean? What is, I don't understand. I don't understand the question. That's what I'm going to say. I don't understand the question. What does aquaponics have to do with the church? I don't understand the question. We're going to build aquaponics. We're going to turn, turn it over to Nigeria and feed the homeless there. We're going to feed people in the inner city. We're going to use aquaponics. as basically fish farming. The fish go to the bathroom. It goes to a tube. It goes into plants. We grew lettuce at the Benkins Florist and Greenhouses in 40 days. 40 days we grew lettuce. Imagine what that's going to do to feed people around the world, having protein and having food. What do you mean what does it have to do with the church? It has everything to do with the church. God owns aquaponics. He owns the fish. He made the fish. He made the thing that we make the thing out of that put fish go in. What, what, I don't understand. One of the greatest things that ever happened to me happened to me about a month ago. I walk, I'm walking out of church and someone comes up to me and says, Pastor, we need to get into algae. I'm probably the only pastor in the history of the world that was standing there and someone walked up and said, we need to get into algae. I said, I don't know what that means, but it sounds good to me, man. Uh, you know, algae is a biofuel. And he's looking at what we're doing. He's saying, I'm a, uh, you know, I, here's what I do, a chemist and everything. If we get into algae and blah, blah, blah. Isn't it exciting that people are walking out of church and saying, we need to get into algae. Well, that's kind of secular, don't you think? No, that's right. It's not. We need to get into algae. 
We need to get an aquaponics and hydroponics and whatever else, because Romans 12, 1 says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies, all of you, as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. I own every part of you and everything you do and the brain that you have, the skill in your legs, the skill in your arm, the skill in your mouth, the skill of your eyes. I own it all, and all of it belongs to me. Whatever you do belongs to me. It's sacred, everything. It only becomes sinful when you corrupt it. Everything belongs to me. You're an athlete. You belong to God. You're, you on the sport. You shoot the ball. Why do you think a lot of the athletes point all the time to, the, to heaven when they do that? Because they're understanding that what they're doing on the field belongs to God. It is sacred. It is sacred what they do. And ask Anthony Munoz when he plays football. I'm a good friend with Anthony Munoz. And he told me for years, he said, when I get out on that field, I'm worshiping God. I may knock that guy on, on his backside, but you know what? I do it to the glory of God. The other guy probably didn't think that at all. He probably just thought he got knocked on his backside. But Anthony was worshiping God while playing football on Sunday afternoons. When you do everything to the glory of God, God accepts it. It is acceptable and pleasing to him. That's the truth, my friends. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Father God, thank you so much for this time that we can spend together. And God, thank you for, thank you for the patience of this church, Lord God, to hear these things, to go a little bit over, but to hear these things, Lord God, and to embrace them in their own hearts to own these things, to think them through in their minds, to understand that we don't live in a secular world. We live in a sacred world that is sometimes corrupted by sin. May we live our lives that way. May we reject the philosophies that have entered into our hearts that go against the Christian worldview in which we live. We give you the praise and glory for how you're going to move in this church and the revival that's going to start when we all begin to understand this and apply it to our lives. We, we ask you for that. We praise you in advance for it's going to happen. In Jesus' precious and holy name, amen. Before you leave, let's just, as they're going to play that one, one song, let's just get up and have some fun here at the end.